0: And welcome back to Master of Modern. I'm your host, Alex Kessler. Back at the office, this is a temporary thing, but there's things, cards, cardboard cutouts all around me, and I have a very special guest, first time on the show, uh, Michelle Hello.
1: Hello, so nice to um, be here. I don't have a bunch of cards. I just have some furniture. And- yeah, but there's
0: like a cool kamigawa Ooh. box. I think I see like somewhere in the corner. Yeah, yeah, me. I've got what a is- I've
1: got a kamigawa box like in the background over there. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, I think,
0: um, yeah, I'm very jealous. <laughs> this
1: is my this is my basically I've decided to create my little cottage core basement. So we we literally there's only one window. It's over there. Um, so I've tried to like pretend that this place is just light and airy. As possible, so a lot of a lot of interior design research, and I'm I'm pleased with the results. It's like equally nerdy, but also cute. So I I'm like quite pleased.
0: Yeah. I, that I mean, that's really cool. And you just moved to to the the new to Boston, right? So it's a yeah. it's a brand new setup. I love moving. Out of places is terrible. It's the moving oh. in places part that I love because it's like it's like the uh, first day of school back. I'm like putting all the pencils in the little pencil holders in my backpack. Everything's new. And then within 36 hours, all of it is no longer in those locations. And my backpack <laughs> crushed. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's the moving in part I always like because you get to reorganize and set everything up and then I will never maintain that.
1: for For me it's been like putting together a really big puzzle right because that's kind of how interior design sort of works it's sort of like okay i need to be realistic with my expectations and what my comfort level is what my budget is and uh figure out like what is the what is the experience i want to have i want someone else to have in this place i i like to think of it as almost like imagineering like i'm a big like I'm a Disney nerd in the sense that I I just love the attention to detail in all these places, especially in the theme parks and like all the rooms and whatnot. So I I like to have that mindset whenever I the quote unquote design a space because I'm just like oh what kind of experience do I want people to have what do I want them to notice like what's their focal point like if they stare at it enough what new things will they pick up so I as a result I drive myself absolutely up the wall trying to figure out like how do I make this whimsical and delightful while also functional <laughs> it's very <laughs> I'm, important
0: <laughs> yeah I'm I'm a big me and Martha have different beliefs on this but she's definitely like I don't want anything on countertops minimal bookshelves I want everything to be like very specific and Placed and singly focused, and I'm like, how much wall space can I fill with art, and how many bookshelves can I pack with books and trinkets and comics and artwork or whatever? Uh, and so, you definitely like when you go to our house. There's like my office, that's that, and then there's the rest of the house, which is her aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I will admit, hers definitely looks nicer. But <laughs> um, so, very briefly, uh, can you uh, let every our listeners know, you know, who you are, what, what type of content you've made in the past, and your 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 background of a magic person gotcha
1: (laughs) yeah what who are you what are you doing here (laughs) um yeah so i am michelle rapp uh you might know me from my uh general twitter (laughs) twitterings uh where i generally talk about magic the gathering dungeons and dragons ctrpgs um the state of society and um Bread, just a lot of bread. I've been baking a lot. So you're probably going to see a lot of focaccia on my timeline, um, which I do not regret. Carbs are delicious. Um, you might also know me from, um, I used to have a podcast about magic lore called the Lore Goifs. Uh We are on hiatus for a while. We will see if we come back together. Uh, but I have also written um, several articles for Card Kingdom. I've appeared on a few of their events like the Chalice, Um, I also used to work with a professor for a little bit, Brian, which was fun. Um, And yeah, I basically kind of just been like hanging around, doing stuff with people, um, having a generally good time, which is nice. So
0: you've you've existed in the general weird COVID moment of what is is my relationship to this game and what does the world look like and how does one make content when who knows what is going on? (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) It's very much been just like, ah, now I will only see my friends from the chest up
0: (laughs) in perpetuity. I I know much less about what shoes everyone is wearing, and I know much more about what pets they have.
1: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I've Uh, seen so many cat asses in the past, like, three (laughs) years. It's just cat asses for days (laughs) um
0: so so today uh we are going to be talking about uh we're going to talk about um discard in modern and and a little history on eight rack as a deck uh which is a deck that you've played in modern in the past we're going to talk about uh where the deck has gotten to and then we're going to talk about lore how the magic lore is released where it's at right now how we feel about the lore that's going on in kamigawa uh which i personally am super excited by and uh have uh opinions on, and I assume you do as well, <laughs> uh, and so it'll be a fun a fun little ride. So first, uh, before we get into it, uh, uh, A, the show is made very possible by our patrons. Uh, we're doing a lot of new stuff on the Patreon. If you go there right now, um, for for you can sign up to get early release of the podcast. This comes out a week early. Uh, it comes with a whole bonus 15 to 20 minutes worth of content every week at the very beginning of it, where we talk about a bunch of stuff. Me and Michelle talked about uh, all the different food we've eaten while traveling and how iced coffee doesn't exist and why it doesn't exist in other countries, or Europe specifically. We've we've, we've discovered that it's just Europe that doesn't have iced coffee. Uh, why? the Heathens. Uh <laughs> Uh, that whole conversation is in the pre-show. Uh also uh you now get early access uh 24 hours in advance of the podcast fully edited. So the video version also gets posted there on Mondays or the podcast gets released on Tuesdays, plus other cool stuff that's going on there. So make sure to check that out as well. Uh, and then also um starting this month, we now uh, are partnering with Alter Sleeves. There's a whole Alter Sleeve page. There's a link below uh, to check out all the ones we've selected. And then we are planning on working on getting a uh, exclusive altar sleeve done for the podcast for patrons only. Um So it's another reason to be a part of the patrons. So you can help a decide what we're doing. I think we're thinking of a Lurus altar, uh, but you can help contribute and figure out what we want to do there. And uh definitely appreciate that. And then of course uh ultra pro uh, makes this podcast happen as well. And big shout out to them on top of that and all of their great products. And literally where I'm keeping all of my magic cards as we, as we, as we talk other than these giant, cardboard cutout ones that I made on my industrial size printer. (laughs) (laughs) I
1: was about to say, how did you get them? I have.
0: As a uh, toy company person, access to a printer that prints thirty-six by infinity long paper. (laughs) Uh, That's such a a very specific superpower. Yes, (laughs) yeah. If you want a weird cardboard cutout of yourself, I have them of Ben and Michael. You might have to pay for (laughs) shipping and freight, but I can make that. I have the ability to do that. Uh, um, So yeah. Uh, (laughs) Whenever we got a preview, these are all the cards we previewed. So we have we previewed all. These then in behind the camera, I can maybe lift it up. Hopefully, it doesn't mess stuff up. We yeah. have tests and fatal push and claim to fame and merfolk misbinder on all the walls because we've previewed those cards in the past. We used to like print them out for like cool video content. That's uh,
1: awesome.
0: Yeah. It was like one of the, one of the benefits of having a toy company is uh, abusing the weird equipment. <laughs> 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 uh,
1: I mean, I would do the same thing in your case. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Please don't feel bad. that's awesome.
0: It's very, very, very fun. Uh, so, so, but yeah, so discard and modern, Uh, For a long time, and and until very recently, I always said discard is probably the main stopgap we've had available in the format, right? Like, I've always said uh, that thought seizes our force of will, where, you know, if you wanted to pick a deck that was here to punish people trying to do very linear strategies or strategies that rely on specific cards, in... Modern versus, you know, in, in legacy where Force of Will is that kind of same stopgap with a little bit of a lesser extent wasteland or days, modern had Thoughtsies in, in Inquisition of Kozalek. I, I feel like that has changed, uh, partially with printings of stuff like Force Negation, um, and Solitude and, and all some of the other additional free counter spells and, and other interaction. But you know, Thoughtsies is still, you know, top five most played cards in the format. Inquisition of Kozlek isn't far behind that. Um and for a long time, and, and even to this day, you know, still five-owing dailies, stuff like eight rack has been a big feature of the format. I mean, I think you know, historically, our most com- the most competitive podcast to this podcast in the modern sphere was Turn One Thoughtsies, which was a base started as a we were focused on eight rack monopod that podcast that then evolved into a full modern one. Um, so yeah, and 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 you you've played a lot of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So my history with modern is, um, it, it's like a short, sweet, short summer fling <laughs> back in 2020. 20, oh God. 2015, 2016, something like that. I, I took, um, I basically was looking at a bunch of uh, decks to play for, a I think a PPTQ. Um, and I was just like, what, what do I do? I don't really know. And so my friends started walking me through. All right, well, here are the different decks you could do. Um, here's you know, this, there's that. And at the time I had opened, um, a Liliana of the veil, vale, um, in an, in a straw draft. And it was like the most amazing thing. I think it was one of my first best magic moments. Um, and I, so I was like, I have this, what do I do with it? And they said, oh, we well, can do eight rack. Eight rack could be good. And this was back when it was still played in eight rack. Um, and I was like, okay, what's it all about? And so uh, they went and showed me what it was at the time, which was, you know, a lot of ensnaring bridges and all that old, that old chestnut. And I really enjoyed it in like a deep, satisfyingly sadistic way. (laughs) It was basically, uh, I like to compare it to kind of like capitalism. At its worst, in the sense where I just take everything away from you, and then I punish you for having nothing. So yeah. it was it was great in that regard. Uh, so I took it to the PPTQ, and it was I did not get anywhere with it because I was just there for fun. But I. Curb stomped everyone during the first match, like for during the first game of every match. It was just not something anyone saw coming. And then they were like, "Okay, now we're going to board in some artifact hate." And I'm like, "Okay, well, this is going to go badly." But I appreciated the first the first game, which usually ended in about three minutes. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> "I just take everything from you, and you're dead."
0: So or, or um, you get ran over, right? Like that's kind of like the swinginess of the deck is like either I'm able to totally make it so you don't get to do anything. Or you did something, and I have no way to deal with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did have some, a few answers that it was Bono Black. I mean, I did have a few answers to mm-hmm. sort of like try to get things off of the board. So that was um, a pretty uh, fun. It was a pretty fun time. But yeah, I, I played it for a few months, and then for a, a little while because of the Vorthos. Um, aspect of it, I was really excited by Jess Sky Harbinger because I mean it's Nahiri bringing Ember cool. and I'm like, this is like the story. I love that; it makes me so happy. Um, but didn't really get to take it out for any of PTQs. Just, just eight rack. But right, um,
0: that, well, that's when that deck started happening. it's kind of also the end of PTQs.
1: Yeah, basically. So I was like, well, I guess this is not happening anymore. So I'll just take these cards and and look at them. <laughs> just just look it up real good um yeah but it was um i, I really loved uh just sort of the efficiency of um of eight rack i loved the fact that it was uh, what this one That's something i really love um about playing magic is like i tend to play i like very elegant plays i like something that's very efficient um doesn't take too long just gets right to the quick of it and it's it's like beautifully it's I don't like something I mean, Burn is also kind of like that, but I I don't tend to like it quite as much. Something that's like a very efficient little Rube Goldberg machine, just like what 8RAG used to be, was precisely what I loved. So it's a deck that always has like a, a soft spot in my heart. <laughs>
0: What, one of the things that's cool about it is you know, like it, 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 like Burn, is taking an access of magic where you can attack someone on and then leaning into it so hard that you accidentally win. And Burn is damage to the face, and 8-Rack is... You know, and, and and I guess I guess the, to establish what eight rack is because it isn't a big piece of the metagame as much anymore. Though it does still see play, and we'll talk about that in a second. Is you know, it's, it's leaning on this card, the rack, which is an old card. Like the the it's been kind of the face of discard cards since basically Magic started existing. I think its first printing is is it an alpha. As, almost as old as you can be as a magic card. <laughs> um, <laughs> seen and, things. and back then it was always a feast of pace of these discard decks. Uh, though discard was, you know, more leaning on cards like duress, no, not creatures were very good back then, but, um, and, uh, was, was kind of one of the weird grandfathered cards into modern. Cause it's on the time shifted sheet. And that's how it kind of always existed there. And then the card shrieking and, and, and then, then the card shrieking affliction was printed in return to Ravnica. So now you have, which basically does the same thing. So Shrieking Confliction is one black enchantment at the beginning of each opponent's upkeep. If that player has one or fewer cards in hand, uh, they lose three life. And the rack is one mana at the end, uh, one uh, generic mana, so it's an artifact. At the end of target opponent's upkeep, the rack deals uh, that player one damage for each card in his or her hand, fewer than three. So they both basically, for very efficient one mana cards, will slowly kill your opponent for having no cards in hand. And so then the rest of the deck and on permanents that are hard to deal with. And so then the rest of the deck is here to make it so you don't have any cards in hand. And if you don't have any cards in hand, you are likely not winning <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> quickly. So you have your little artifacts that don't do anything, but kill do like three damage to them once a turn, have the time to kill your opponent. Cause you're preventing them from doing anything else without having any cards in hand or in play. Um, and to give a little background on my my background with the deck, uh, so I've actually never played eight rack in modern. But my number one legacy finish of all time is off of uh, smallpox, which is a which mm. is basically the translation of that deck into that format, where you don't win with uh, the rack or shrieking Affliction Back in the I don't know what they win with now, but back in the day we were winning with uh, cursed scroll which lets me like do damage to a, a creature or opponent based on me naming a card at random for my hand, but I also didn't have any cards in hand uh, and playing dark ritual into Liliana the Veil on turn one. That's yep. generally how you won.
1: <laughs> yep, that's, uh, uh Yeah. Dark ritual into Liliana the Veil. Liliana the Veil was so great at the time. Oh, I missed, Such a good card. (laughs) Yeah,
0: well, that's, I mean, that's, like, not an argument for Lurus being banned, but, like, that's kind of the main reason Liliana isn't seen play in the deck anymore, right, is the decks that want Liliana are decks that want Lurus, and they want Lurus more than they want Liliana, and that's, Mm -hmm. because, because, because right now the deck is seeing play, right, it's just, it's a Lurus deck, it's playing three Dark Confidant, three Fatal Push, Funeral Charm, Inquisition of Kozilek, Thoughtseize, uh, Smallpox, and then, you know, some of the just more efficient discard spells, like Wrench Mine, Raven's Crime, uh, and funeral charm as just like different ways to do it. It's playing an Urza Saga package. It's playing Mishra's Baubles now because you have Luris, and Luris makes that deck. I think it's both the reason. I think though, if I were to like guess, uh, and 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 from the experience I've had playing against the deck now, Luris definitely feels to me like the reason this deck isn't as popular as it could be because it is always going to be an available option at at a speed that you can't get rid of with mostly sorcery speed discard that just is always going to be able to rebuy cards re- like the the draw engines of the format are so efficient and so difficult for a deck like eight rack to deal with that it feels like it would be really hard to kind of fight against
1: mm-hmm. yeah i've definitely been um like generally tangentially aware of loris's impact on modern and how it's really just dominated that, and Raghavan and both just completely dominated a lot of what we see nowadays. At the top few deck lists, um, which is a little sad. But I mean, I guess the argument is that it's still a healthy meta, and it's going despite all of it. So,
0: yeah, it's it's weird, right? Right now, That's modern weird. is in a in a position where there is a very large quantity of decks and strategies viable. Right, mm-hmm. like uh, you can pretty much play anything you want to play, including a disc. Card. I mean, the, the 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 other side of of eight rack is that the red black mid range discard decks, which play a significant amount of the same cards with some cards that are upgrades, are seeing play and have top aided uh, semi regularly different events. So it's not like this discard direct strategy has gone away. It's just moved into that red black status. And and one thing with eight rack, like you know we joke that mono black is actually the only monocolor deck to never win a pro tour. Like every other color combo has, or not pro tour a, a grand prix. Mm-hmm. Um, and like one of the po- reasons that eight Rec has always been so popular is its budget value. Even with Liliana, the veil, it has always been, you know, the mana base is significantly less expensive because you don't have to deal with having fetch lands. You don't have to deal with having shock lands. Most of the cards other than Liliana and thoughtsies were in the realm of five dollars at most Mm -hmm. um now as different decks and different strategies got better or worse like for instance if you're playing the dark confidant version that would you know that's an extra two hundred dollars for the deck but you don't have to play dark confidant there's versions of the deck that we're seeing play that didn't rely on some of these more expensive cards Liliana of the veil for instance right now isn't seeing play um so so it it is this great little on board into the format that lets players play a control strategy Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's one of the, the benefits of it versus, you know, a lot of times people think like, oh, the only way the only budget decks to get into to format like modern are stuff like Affinity, Burn, Merfolk, Elves, all of these strategies that are generally going to be very like aggressively minded. And smallpox gives that control player the ability to get into the format playing a deck that they like, uh, that is still not within the same price point as some of the more, you know, if I'd open up a Liliana. For most of modern history, your two options were eight rack or junt, and junt was a nice <laughs> five grand, and eight rack was a nice three hundred dollars. <laughs>
1: yep that that um, was the main re- one of the main reasons why I actually chose eight rack because at the time people were like, you could play junt, you're just going to need some goifs and all and dark, all this- and, dark Fet and yes and <laughs> all this other stuff, and I was like, I I think you know that's a big investment for someone who is thinking about modern not necessarily going to commit to it um so i'm gonna go with this route see how i feel and i really loved it i mean i've had a chance to pilot a gen deck on occasion and it's been fun but i just once again like the clean like discard um option of a rag was always just um, a thing of beauty in my mind but yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. go ahead
0: I've always always liked 8-Rack as an onboarding location for people because it's cards that are expensive, are more versatile and more usable in other decks within the format, right? Like mm-hmm. Merfolk, Affinity, Burn, even Tron, all of them are relatively inexpensive to get into, but one of the reasons they're relatively inexpensive to get into is because all of the cards you're buying are only playable in that deck. Yeah. you Like Ravager is played in one deck. Now two... If, well. Affinity is arguably gone, and now Hardened Scales is the deck that plays it. Whatever, but um, Tron like Karn is expensive, but you're only using Karn in Tron or Commander. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, but here, if you invest in Liliana's, and then you slowly can pick up Fetch lands and a Goyf. Well, now Goyf's only twenty dollars, but you know you can you can build into a strategy that is more more tournament viable. But costs more while getting to play a deck that is not not tournament viable, but is is more of an onboarding style uh, platform. So it it is one of the nice things about this deck is it offers players a strategy that isn't as linear, gives them a more controlly feel while allowing them to invest in modern in a way that has paths to grow that investment versus pigeonholing them into specific strategies.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, re- I recognize that, uh, the flexibility of eight rack when I was playing it. and it's one of the reasons why I really liked it at the time. I mean, I was able to, I just remember when I was playing that deck against various others, like being able to, uh, before the sideboarding happened, um, kind of just match whatever was happening and, uh, be able to like identify, oh, okay, those are the main pieces that they need. I uh, let's get rid of that <laughs> right away because of course I don't want them to win. Um, but yeah, I um, when I think about like my deck now, I mean, of course, yeah, I guess I could definitely take whatever pieces I have in there and put them elsewhere, but. Gosh, I'm trying to remember the cost of a Goyf back then was like what two hundred something.
0: Uh, I, mean, was, I think Goif was never two. I think it was, it was like it was one hundred. It was it always like bounced around a hundred dollars to one hundred and twenty, and then it got down to eighty for a while, okay. and it would go back to a hundred. And now it's Maybe at i twenty dollars, which is an insane thing that I said. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I can't. I, if you'd have told me five years ago that that piece of cardboard was going to be only twenty bucks in the future, I would have been like, oh, okay, that's nice. Yeah. I'm glad well, I,
0: yeah. Well, I think I think part of it is is they just printed it a lot, right? Like yeah. it, people people earlier on were trying to point out, like, oh, but it's because it's not good and like people think it's about it, but it's like Jund is still one of the best decks in the format, and Goyf is a four of it plays with Luras really well. It's just that they printed it in five Modern Masters sets plus a double Masters, I think, plus iconic Masters had it, and on top of that, you have the Time spot remaster version, and that's the that's what tipped it over the edge was like. Times Power Remastered was a set that had it in it and was printed at a like closer to regular dollars per pack pack price. And that finally pushed it over the edge to make it like, oh, this is now a $20 card. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's awesome. I mean, well, I I wish other cards could see that same treatment,
0: but. um, Let's just print Ragavan five more times, please.
1: (laughs) I mean, the joke is that a full art Ragavan is only two bucks, (laughs) right?
0: I don't. I don't get it. Wait.
1: Oh, it's the token.
0: Oh, 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 sure, sure, yeah, the sure. Token. sure. Uh, <laughs> the it. token.
1: token yep. of Rakivan. Yeah, that
0: <laughs> makes sense. I was like, I don't.
1: <laughs> There's there. uh, a fulmar. It's only two bucks. You can just yeah, get that. Yeah, easy, yeah. Easy, easy. easy, super easy solution to that problem.
0: Yep. Yep. <laughs> Which is, it was the player rewards card. You don't know. It's been, (laughs) they got that system back. Um, So, so yeah. And and what's cool, I will say is that the deck, the biggest change that looks like has really happened to the deck as it's seeing play now is um, the addition of Urza Saga, right? Like that, that definitely has given it the ability to have a very similar... You know, it's the Luris plus plus Urza Saga combo that's seen play in every deck in Modern, right? Where it's, mm-hmm. I now have this access to this threat that is able to rebuy my threats, that's able to draw me into more cards to stop my opponent fights their Luruses, and I have Urza Saga, which always tutors either, worst case scenario, I'm guaranteed to have the Rack in play on turn three, no matter mm-hmm. what happens. Uh, to the extent that it is now really six Rack. They're no longer playing for shooting Afflictions, but they are playing... On the other hand, you could argue it's ten rack because you have four hours of saga, four racks, and four four shrieking affliction. So it's 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 an interesting way that this deck has evolved in the sideboard. You definitely see cool stuff like Torak uh, Dread Cantor, which is like this perfect him the to Torak option that does work with Lurus in a really cool way. Mm-hmm. Um, Dwathi Voidwalker is in the in the sideboard as well, uh, and then and then just more. Or saga packages, and I think I think the one thing, and this is what I remember from Pox's era, is graveyard hate was so important to the extent that I was like four p- packing four leyline of the voids and two Neil spell bombs, and no, I think it was four leyline of the voids, a Neil spell bomb, and three surgical extractions were my sideboard, and it was like if I play against a graveyard deck, I am actively helping them, and so. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: Yeah, I do remember the surgical extractions quite a bit, just being like, nope, get that out.
0: <laughs> well, and sometimes you just get them, where it's like, oh, I yeah. thought it a card that you also still have in your hand and you got two of, and now I've now used these two cards to get four cards out from your hand, and you're so far behind now. Great. Um, and yeah, so it's, 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 I do recommend this deck to people. And then, and then kind of to the other version, which is the Rakdos one. And this is once again Solurus deck. Uh, this one isn't playing. Um, there is a saga package, though, because you get this library of just Dragon Rage Channeler, Raghavan, Kroxa, and, um, the, the you know, just better removal with Unholy Heat, call, call Against Command. So it's much less of like a fully focused discard deck. It's more just I'm playing the full suite of Inquisitions and Thatsis. I'm playing, Dwath, you know, and Croxa and instead of Eight Racks, where you have this continuous access to a Titan that comes back every turn while discarding their hand while doing damage. While well, being a 6-6 while escaping every turn and every other text on this card, etc.
1: <laughs> so it's a little bit more multifaceted, but it looks like it's to its benefit here. Um a little bit more um interaction and just sort of yeah, a little bit more multi-purpose.
0: <laughs> and it's and, so, and it's as so I nice said, it's evolved. <laughs> yeah, and it, well it's kind of the point that like, as I said before, you start with A-Rack, then you evolve that into Rectos mid-range, and then that evolves into Zoomer or Junt, and then <laughs> evolve. Like, as you slowly add these pieces, you're able to become a different deck, and it's still using all these stuff that you had before. So it, it is why I think it's the best entree uh, into, into modern, or maybe any strategy.
1: Yeah. baby. <laughs> Other than you're going to make your friends
0: unhappy when you make them discard every car in their hands.
1: I mean you know, no one needed those people anyway. <laughs> <laughs> friends are overrated. So, yeah, magic is, <laughs> magic is your only friend. You don't need other
0: friends. <laughs> this, is, this is maybe a nightmare. <laughs> yes. uh, Just but,
1: cackle silently on your own in your kitchen table. It'd yeah, be great.
0: But I, I will say even from like, you know, I've always said that my favorite decks to bring around with me are Jund and Jeskai. And that's because they have such a good interplay off of each other. And I think you could replace Jund in that conversation with Nate rat deck the end game part of that deck is a little bit more of a slug than a than a junt because you're not beating them down my removal spells are less versatile but you're still interacting you're still going back and forth on spells you're casting and dealing with threats in play and removal spells to affect them which i think is the best to me is my favorite version of magic right it's not Mm -hmm. two ships passing in the night it's two ships trying to deal with the other ships with cannons
1: (laughs) yeah with with uh, cannons and just I don't know, like bribing their sailors to come to your ship, and then just leaving their ship unintended. It's yeah, it's a really interactive deck, and I think it's um, it rewards patience. It re- it's a uh, you know, it's one thing I dislike about, you know, the kind of interactions that you were mentioning where it's just two ships passing the night trying to each do their own thing, the most quick, like the fastest, essentially. Um, in this case, you've got something that actually, you know, you need to pay attention. Um, you need to understand. So that's I agree with your assessment that I think it's a really great like first step because it really teaches you to pay attention. It teaches you to be patient. It teaches you to pick your time. Um, yeah.
0: And, the, and it, it's, you know, right now it's $574 for a rack. The the dollars you're spending that are the most money are Urza Saga, which are, as long as it doesn't get banned, going to be an extremely versatile card to own and in every format in Magic. Urborg uh, to Miyagamoth another one that's like a classic. A, could be reprinted at any moment. B, could be a card you only play two of. It can be one that you can maybe cut the corners on. Dark confidant is a hun- Is is the three dark confidants are hundred dollars, and that's another one that there are other options even in the sideboard. Bringing in just the Torok Dread Cantors and Stell instead, you know, finding other solutions like the the that of the pieces that is the one that is like the most easily replaced by other options. Be it Dwarf, the Wafi Voidwalker, be it Torok Dread Cantor, be it. Uh, even stuff like just like feed the swarm, which uh, and removal spells or card draw spells that get you over the over there. So and then everything else is like less than $50 for a play set. Like they're like thought seasons are five, $10 now. So it's not even the most like it's so affordable to get into. And every card you're spending money on is worth owning at this point like i i don't i don't think Urza's uh, of the three big bads in modern i think Urza's saga is the least likely to get banned and i think there's cards that aren't even in conversations like dragon rage channeler uh mishra's bobble and even solitude that are more likely to be banned before uh urza saga is and it doesn't need ragavan so that's not you're lowering of that risk and if loris goes away this deck existed before loris was around loris helped uh, and it is a piece of it. But I honestly think Loris is one of the reasons the deck isn't doing better than it is because of the fact that even if I make you discard something, you can get it back with Loris.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially since um, in most matchups you see nowadays, um, if both sides have Lurus, uh, that can be kind <laughs> of a fool's errand, right? So,
0: yeah. Well, and, and your opponent's probably a little bit more ahead than you are because you're buying discard spells and they're buying threats removal spells and stuff that you've made them mm-hmm. discard so you're like two cards behind They're one yeah. um and the mana you spent to cast it so um so yeah so anything else on eight rack before we jump into to to the world of lore
1: not really story? i it's so nice to go down this little road with you i haven't i haven't thought about eight, my little eight rack deck in a long time i'll just have to take it back out and be like aww you're so old now. I need to update you with Luris. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we're in Urza Sagas and, I mean, the Urza Saga. and the Luris.
1: <laughs> By the way, it's so funny. Um, I don't know if you know Ali Steele, nor, uh, formerly Ali Medwin. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she actually designed Urza Saga and she designed Atraxa, So I think she's now like, what, two for two for like ridiculously powerful cards?
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, It's fine. It's a good... A good contribution to
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> thanks sally <I> love
0: you. <laughs> you doing, well actually like i wish urza saga was maybe not as ubiquitous in, in where it's showing up but i think it's doing good things for the format i think from a power level perspective it's fine i think it's more just it's color like it's not that it's colorless it's just it's a land i like almost think it's just And I understand the problem here is uh, there isn't enough space on the typeface to have this, but if it was legendary, I think I'd be less worried about it because you can't like play multiples, but I think it's fine. I I like Urza Saga. I think it's a cool card. Uh, The fact that the format like has answers to it and the fact that if you uh, uh, spreading season Urza Saga, it murders it immediately is like something I like really love. Okay. Yeah. so, so yeah, we figured it out. Uh, nice. um, all right. So let's talk about lore. Uh, I guess oh, I can, yeah. you, you start you. Uh, oh, you, gosh. To, or I can I can do a whole a whole lead into it.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. This is okay, your show. Cool.
0: Have so, fun. Magic lore exists. One of the reasons I'm as excited to get you on is because I love talking about magic lore and Ben hates it. Uh, (laughs) 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 Like, like, partially from a perspective, he just doesn't know anything and there's so much different stuff. And and it's really fascinating, too, because, like, I would say... I have a TikTok and and make a bunch of content there as well. If you don't follow me, listeners, you should uh, TikTok at Cass Wiley, whatever. Uh, But lore videos, there are some of my best performing ones. I think people do love lore and it's so interesting, especially for new players, where I think a lot of them are on TikTok. There's a lot of lore that they don't know. And part of that is also because if you're a new player that joined basically since Magic Arena has been uh, added to the format, which that has brought in a lot of new players. Magic lore has been weird since then. Be <laughs> kind. Um, and uh, I, today, I wanted to talk a little bit of like what's happened since Magic Arena kind of launched in the in in the World of War. Uh, why the success of Magic Arena has kind of caused this problem to happen, where like the success of it put too many eggs forward. It to me, it feels like, and then that was what caused a lot of problems. And now we're just getting back to getting what it used to be and the era really literally since like right before that which was like inksalon and the preempt of getting into the war of the spark where i think magic was at its peak in in, in storytelling mm-hmm. uh, yeah
1: <laughs> we're, we're getting better it's getting better which is exciting which is really really exciting i so um gosh when i think when Ixo so I, we'll start let's start when it's came out it's came out what um 20 2018 The before times. The before times. (laughs) In in the before times, there was a time where you could just read lore and it was good. Um, So Ixalan, it was always frustrating for me because it was both a draft format that I absolutely hated and a lore. And they also had the best lore of any of um, the, the previous stories you've seen at this point, you know, um, all of the lore had been written in-house and um, Alison Morris decided to finally take it upon herself and just write this behemoth of like, I think it was like what, 10 stories, 10, 12 stories Mm -hmm. uh, covering um, basically all the events of Ixalan and Rivals of Ixalan, which was really amazing and incredible. And I think, I think it just really gave us a a hint of what, you know, lore could really be. Um, we, it, the, that the very old history of lore, um, be- when we lo- talk about things like Urza stuff, uh, old Dominarius stuff, old Phyrexia stuff, um, we have things like novels and stuff like that. Um, but you know, oftentimes, a lot of folks uh, nowadays, including myself, don't feel a lot of connection to the old lore just because it really hasn't aged very well. Um, it,
0: it, it's great in the way that like lore in Lord of the Rings dictates the story that's told in Lord of the Rings or like, like yeah, it's it, it, a
1: foundational it, thing. Like, it's like you one find of the, find the ruins
0: and there's like hints of what those stories were. But if you actually like read those stories, they're not good.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're just like, why, why? It's so much singing. Why?
0: <laughs> yeah, is very messy, but because it exists, you're able to tell stories where you walk through the minds of Moria and there it feels like there's decades of content there that mm-hmm. are there, that, that this isn't actually lived in space. And I think that is one of the strengths of Magic is that there's 30 years of storytelling, and no, you know, some of it is very messy, but it builds weight to the decisions when it's used correctly of what's happening now. And like nickel bullets yeah. is a good example, Phyrexians are a good example of those where not only do you have modern day storytelling of it, but you can look at what happened before and theorize on what that means.
1: And and the thing too that I think has become, um, that was really, it's been really great about modern storytelling uh, within magic um, is that there is now a return to, consistency with regards to characters and what I was like, because in the past that was uh, definitely a challenge and it's, it remains still somewhat of a challenge as we, you know, we, we get one writer versus another. Um, but we, You know, depending on who was writing things back in the day, like, Sissé would be super badass. And then the next thing is like, oh, no, Sissé is not badass anymore. It has to be rescued. And you're just like, but I don't understand. (laughs) So uh, now there's a much more consistent... um, effort being put into consistent character portrayal, not only that, but I think there's also uh, a recognition of the power of story. I think um, in a lot of ways, Wizards is taking note of what other gaming companies have done. You know, we've had games like what Diablo world of Warcraft um, league of legends, um, Hearthstone, like a ton of other, you know, Skyrim fallout, all of these games are successful because there is a very strong, consistent, Deep narrative that drives the game forward. And while Magic the Gathering doesn't require that for its gameplay, I think what it's finally understanding is that like msg um investing in it really deepens the flavor of your game <laughs>
0: well, it also like it, it builds the brand right like halo yeah. if you're just looking at the first person multiplayer aspect of it would not have the same amount of legs if it didn't have people that were so invested in the story that they bought every single sequel because they wanted to see what happens next that they bought you know reams of comics and books etc that's the extended universe of that that lets them feel more connected to the characters that are going on i think like you know mark rosewater used to refer to magic in eras and he always kind of references it in like how sets were designed and how they holistically saw sets and to me the actual underlying thing with that is almost how stories were told because in the early days of magic you just made shit most names in the game were the were amalgams of like different as, as
1: modicara like yeah. nevin rawl's disc is literally just larry niven's thing
0: Mar- yeah, Mar- i mean maro <laughs> Mar- is mean, Mar- a card in magic because maro mark rosewater's name is maro right like so it's 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 a like that was the first era and then and then you know Mark came, who came from TV, pitched the idea of Tempest Block, and and that had Exodus and Mirage, and eventually go mm-hmm. to Urza Saga, which was like the beginning of holistic storytelling, and then that led into the era of like the novels, which were the like uh, uh, a Chroma, a uh, Corona, False God a uh, Kamal pit fighter mm-hmm. era of magic that like had a lot of the really swinginess that went back and forth of like, who's telling the story, what it means. And I, that, that is one of the flaws I think. And I think that, that when I kind of said arena kind of brought us back, it brought us back to that era. And I think one of the problems with that era and consistency of characters is magic is a game first. And what happens in magic and how magic cards are designed are a much more fluid process until print books can't be that. <laughs> if I'm yeah, a yeah. novel, what happens in that story gets locked in at different moments and w- from a different perspective of why these things work this way versus a weekly, you know, almost blog-esque story release, which I think has been the best as of magic story, has way more versatility. Oh, Liliana in this card art we got is blowing up the chain veil to Nickel Nicolbalas. Let's make sure we include that in a story instead of it ignoring it or, Oh, Luca shows up on all of these cards and gets along with the care. Like is a animal person who likes animals. Let's not include the story where he abuses them and doesn't like them in the
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was so, that was, I think one of the most ridiculous things. Um, I mean, I, so I love to core story, Jenga Wexler. Um, and, and I think that's sort of the thing too. Like we used to have a consistent um, group of people who wrote the story? But I do think once they started contracting folks to bring uh, to write those stories, those stories I think were only as successful as uh, one. Uh, the team preparing and editing and and really just setting up those writers for success and two, how well those writers were able to write under these very different conditions, right? Because like a lot of these writers, for example, Martha Wells um, who is an award-winning writer, like all of her stuff with Murderbot 100% recommend um, really fantastic and actually extremely different than um, her work in Magic the Gathering um, I, I personally feel like there was not a lot of room for success for her because there was just so much to do and not a lot of room to breathe. What, what um, story did she write? She did Dominaria. There Dominaria. were a couple of stories, like Teferi's story that I thought were perfect. And then there were a few that were just like, How how did you end up here in this story? I was like, and now y'all like gargle's gonna show up. I'm like, <laughs> oh God, and, what?
0: <laughs> and a little bit of the problem with Dominaria as a storytelling device is that it that's not what That was about. Yeah. Like it was kind of meant to be like. And 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 I'm I'm a big I'm a big believer that like villains make a story like in all genres and it it's not that you can't have a good story where a villain isn't important but especially in hot like tropey genres like fantasy the villain to me is like one of the key features and we were in the middle of the uh, we were in the middle of the Nicol Bolas saga right we had finished the Eldrazi saga that led right into Nicol Bolas being the main villain we had left. Um, uh, uh, Aminket having you know all of our little squad of friends being defeated. We did Ixalan, kind of showing the ramifications of that, and also showing the pieces of what his plan is. And then we go to Dominaria, (sighs) and not 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 like kind of this Black Blade storyline happens that That kind of like
1: doesn't (laughs) lock is there on, story bunch of stuff is there.
0: kind of a piece to that which was important but it was also more about like oh we're going back to dominaria let's reset up yeah. this setting and kind of like which i appreciate was setting up the next story in the same way that um you know that felt more like oh dom you know we need to get dominaria back because there's no way to do a phrixian story without the history we previously mentioned. Of dominaria being involved, mm-hmm. that would feel weird and empty. And so let's reestablish that, and that's good. Like right now, yeah. one, the, one of the last things I want to talk about—not now, but when we get a little bit later in the podcast—is like what the future of storytelling is going well, to be. absolutely, and, we're getting
1: a brothers war, and I'm very really excited uh, about that, and
0: and and where that goes. But yeah, so so you know. Uh, arena happened and they're like, Oh, we're making infinite dollars. And what other properties do is, you know, Halo is doing it. They release novels. Like their story is more official than ours are. Let's instead of having an in-house team that's working with the designers and knows what's going on and built the worlds that we're going into, let's hire outside people. And you have a communication error, you know, not communication error, but you just have a lacking of communication with those two teams.
1: Yeah. I think there was just not, honestly, I feel like, um, it I think the greatest contrast of success uh was the handling of war in is in the handling of the war of the St- spark story. There were two writers, Nikki Drayden and Django Wexler uh both incredibly talented writers who I think were just successful in their um imaginings of Ravnica, I think in spite of a lot of things I think because also because they had more freedom. Uh, they're also seasoned writers. Like um, if you look at both of their resumes, Jenko Wexler has been known for his um, Flintlock fantasy series, starting with a, a thousand, uh, well, I think just, I can't remember all the names of his books, but they're really good. You should read them. Um, it's basically the Napoleonic Wars, but magic and necromancy, super cool. And Nikki Drayden has also done uh, quite a few award-winning uh, novels as well, including Temper <laughs> and uh, The Prey of the Gods. Uh, when they brought in Greg Weissman, Greg Weisman does have quite a pedigree. Um, but ultimately, I do think he was not the correct person for the job because his background was very much in television writing and comics. These are two different mediums, I think, what you want to bring in for what is basically going to be the apex of emotional traumatic experiences for these characters who've grown to love and know over like years, right? This is supposed to be the, the Zenith of the plot that we've been following. It, for a really it long was, time.
0: it was wizards Avengers end game. I mean, like yeah, it was really, Avengers end
1: game, but no. not, not that much though.
0: Well, <laughs> well, so here's, here's, here's like my biggest frustration with war of the spark, right? Is if you ignore the book, And you experience it as it was experienced by most players paying attention to the story up to that point and through preview season. Because the Cole set was previewed and then the book came out. And it is Wizard's greatest preview season of all time. Like I will, I will defend the war of the spark story from that perspective because they told the story through preview cards, through content creators, chronologically, like every single card had a previewer and they were released in a chronological order that told the story from beginning to end in a way that has not been done maybe since Tempest where that was also done in Tempest where every piece of artwork was the next step. And that story is amazing. The Like the actual story told on the cards. Yeah. <laughs> really yeah. It's, is...
1: it's amazing because I mean, you really get to see a plane go to war. Right. 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 And especially one of the best, like my favorite plane is Ravnica and it is something to see that the guilds finally come together and like fight, like seeing the, the various, like um, the, the various guilds, like there were these, there was a cycle of the, of like pairs of guilds coming together and like mm-hmm. few, their symbols into mm-hmm. one and being like, we're gonna fight the zombies. That was great.
0: Well and, and even like like the 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 subsequent cards of Gideon like grabbing the black blade, jumping on the Pegasus, the Pegasus getting shot by Oketra, him falling and then Rakdos catching him, him riding a- <laughs> Rakdos yeah. to stab Nicol Bolas and then Nicol Bolas destroying the black blade being like, no. It's
1: like, <laughs> Enough of this foolishness.
0: <laughs> it's like such a great series of cards. Mm-hmm. And... And then, you know, and then that leads to like Ligliana sacrificing herself to fight Nicol Bolas and then Gideon sacrificing himself to save – like all of that. Amazing. The story of War of the Spark is an amazing story if you don't read the book. Yes,
1: yeah, so please <laughs> do not read the book. The book was bad. Yeah. It and was – It and the thing is like actually like – The second one that was worse. It's like <laughs> the second one was, was just strictly offensive in every sense of the word. Yeah. It was just straight up offensive um, and biphobic and terrible. But I, I think that's the thing though, because when you read uh when you read War of the Spark, the the novel, it reads to me much more like a television script. Um, like this happens and this happens and this happens, and this, happens and this happens. Uh there's some witty witty things here and there. There's a couple of things that, moments that do work, but as a whole, when I compare it to the gathering storm. The Gathering Storm is, I think, one of that compare uh, that together with Nikki Drayden's short stories. I think does a beautiful job conveying um, the diversity of a city. The that's um, I mean, that's the, that's the lead up
0: it. short stories that led to the like between. Mm-hmm. Um, I always forget now keeping Ravnica the second Ravnica set of that block.
1: <laughs> yeah, guilt, <laughs> yeah. guilt, and then allegiance. I think yes. that was yeah, one yeah, the yeah. Guilds of Ravnica and then allegiance. It was. So good because, um, you know, as someone who lived in a city, as someone who lives in a city, you get to experience kind of every single part of it, you know, and I think they really got that whole thing the 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 hugeness of this of the plane and, you know, Greg Weissman was not really there like I, I didn't get the feeling of a plane wide war. I right. got like, okay, we're in like a studio set, you know, we're in. You know, like pine. I guess Pinewood, I don't know one of one of those other studios, Pinehurst.
0: Sure, sure, um, yeah. sure. Yeah, and 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 I do want to like uh, defend at least uh, on my end my my like opinions on this book because like there I is there is a version of it where it's like uh, oh you guys are just hating on, like because this is this is corporate fiction right and corporate fiction classically is significantly worse than non-corporate fiction not like the like the halo books books it doesn't have to be well that's my point is i'm also a person who has read up until disney buying them every single star wars book and there are bad ones there are good ones i've read every single well i read every single halo book until i stopped reading them but like i've read my share
1: of like star trek books imzadi makes me cry
0: (laughs) right right i and and so this isn't for the perspective of like this book is bad, but, like, all books of this type are bad. This is a perspective, like, these books can be great and a lot of them are very good and this one is particularly worse than those. Yes. So,
1: uh, <laughs> I mean, whenever I compare books, like, I compare, like, written stuff like this, I don't compare it to, like, within its genre. I guess I compare it to, like... Other fantasy, like other genre fiction books that I've read. So, like, I i don't know if it's fair for me to compare this to say, like, N.K. Jemisin's The City We Became, but like, that's where I am. Right. (laughs) right, right. That's my, those are my reference points because I've seen it be that good. Like, we've seen it be that good. And that was why it was so sad that that happened. And then Forsaken happened, the book of which we shall not speak. Right, Right. Um, but since then we you know we have seen a really great and concerted effort from Wizards of the Coast to reinvigorate lore
0: and and that's the one thing i like always give wizards a little bit of a uh not a limb but uh, uh i'm willing to give them a uh, uh, the benefit throw them a of the doubt on okay. yeah the benefit of the doubt on a timeline perspective right i think they heard everyone on, on this and I, not do i think that i know that cuz they then immediately buried and hid the book that was for Theros Beyond Death to the extent that it does not exist, even though it was written.
1: Yeah, it was written, and then they were like, um... Yeah, we're not going to release that. All of so the problems we,
0: we have with The Forsaken are worse here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and uh, so that will never see the light of day. They then kind of, like, the Ixalan story came out, but it was a digital release. They, like, very much slowed down for the year that they had already made because they have that two-year planning cycle. And then once you get to a year and a half and beyond for The Spark, it starts picking up pretty significantly. Now, to me, feeling like we're culminating again in... Um, in Kamigawa, where, Mm -hmm. where once again, we have these short stories that are very well connected and very well done. We have a lot more care to not just the story they're telling, but the world they're returning to and the places that they need to respect by returning to this world. Uh, And there's definitely places for improvement. They can, they can get, they can get better than even where they're at. But in a lot of ways, you see the ramifications of, of them listening to people and the problems that they had during that, that moment where, oh, mm-hmm. our biggest storyline of all time had major issues and how do we fix it in the future?
1: Yeah, I, I definitely felt that response as well um, with, I think more recently, Strixhaven. So I definitely um, had a lot of issues with, uh, with one of the characters, a couple of the characters in the Strixhaven, namely Killian Lou and his dad, uh, from silver Quill, and just in, from the perspective of Asian representation within media. Um, I, I was on another podcast Asians represent where we talked extensively about this and how damaging, uh, things like, you know, um, tiger parents, et cetera. And that sort of stereotype, um, can be, uh, can, can be like, especially in this day and age where we are seeing a rise in anti-Asian hate crimes. And so, you know, um, and I, I, what was really great was that I I was so worried that we might see a reprise of that um, come Kamigawa because we are coming back to a plane that is inspired directly by Japanese culture, by Japanese history. And so given the past performance of watsi in kamigawa i think i speak for a lot of folks when i say that i was like ah holding my breath and just like i really hope that i don't have to spend the next two months being angry (laughs) because i'd really like to do other things um like like bake or or draw or make legos like that's these are all things pet my cat um but my other cat. Um I th- these are all things I'd rather do with my time than like create op-eds about like why this is actually incredibly um detrimental to representation and whatnot. So I think that leads us to Kamigawa, where we have really um, I think a really compelling story. We're definitely laying down the um like the ground for another big arc. And I think this time we're seeing the Frexines. Like we saw um, Vorinclex doing his Vorinclex thing on time I love that as each of the Praetors is showing up and having the little cameo, they are doing they're making things wrong and only the way they can do as their as themselves. So like Vorinclex is just literally like running around the forest, like just yeeting things and, <laughs> it's like, and just crashing through, just being like 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 some kind of rabid linebacker. <laughs> Whereas Jin Kataxis is like, I will create all of these experiments and see what I can do with his kami. <laughs>
0: The, like the the funny thing is like there's always been like thirstiness for Ellish and for you know the reasons that <laughs> are obvious but I didn't expect that to then just extend to all of the predators as they are given their moments to the shine one by one and
1: <laughs> back that Turn, turns, <laughs> out, <laughs> turns out turns uh, out Jimmy Taxes has just been Shapiro.
0: <laughs> is what oh, well, yeah, the voiceover in there was I was like oh wow oh my god I was like oh you're right. <laughs> 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 um, I can never not read that in that voice and that hurts me. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah it's it's well and 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 you know i think i think that is the other thing that didn't hurt the story but was like a weird moment right is that war of the spark happened and then they had to do this whole readjustment in story at the same moment that they were going through kind of what marvel did the same thing after endgame which is the like this is the breathing out moment. You don't go from one arc into another one. You seed stuff in there. You start setting up for future arcs. You just show what happened to the characters that weren't in the arc. Like we got to see what happened to Garrick and we got to set up um, uh, Oko for, as a future major villain. And, and we went to, to, you know, Shrixhaven to see what Liliana is doing in the meantime. And, and, and you get all of these like small stories, but now we're like, Oh, we're back. And we didn't even realize we were back. We knew the Brothers War in Dominaria was happening, but we all thought like, oh, we're just going to see a flashback and return. Oh, no, it's the year of Phyrexia.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's what's exciting about this, right? And I love the way you phrased it. It's just like, oh, we." it's kind of like we slipped back into this deep end of the pool without even realizing it, right? Because, yeah, you were correct. Like for a while, Eldraine was fantastic. Kate Elliott came back for that Um uh, th- for that story and just knocked it out of the park and we, we got to meet the twins, Ken, uh, Kenrith and, oh my goodness, but uh, not Kenrith, Rowan uh, Will and oh, Rowan, right. Yeah. Kenrith <laughs> is his dad. Ah, my bad. It's been a long time since I've been thinking since I've thought about Eldraine, uh, clearly. Um, I'm just so excited about Kamigawa, oh, but, yeah. um, yeah, it, it's just sort of like, I just remember like call time story coming in and also like way no, <laughs> it's the big green guy. <laughs> what does this mean? you, well, you know,
0: because because also up to this point, Phyrexian has been this infectious problem, so you know, even to the extent that, like, they found oil on Ixalan in a Commander set at some point, like in Commander Legends. Oh. Like, Is Ixalan going to be Phyrexianized? They're like, no, no, no. It's just... No,
1: that's just oil. dinosaurs. <laughs> that's just dinosaurs. Don't worry. That's they just liquid oil. dinosaur. We do a
0: Wild West thing maybe with it or something, but, like, it's not. <laughs> not <for> it yet. <laughs> they beat oil in them hills. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: But, yeah, no, it's it's so... Cool to kind of see what is happening next. And I I think one of the successes of uh, one of the reasons why story has been successful um, the past few sets is because I think there is concerted effort to make it so right? Within Lhotse. I think for the longest time and from my conversations with other wizards folks, like for the longest time, the story was just sort of this thing that someone did on their own time. Like uh, if you remember this plane shift um, or, or the art books, like that was just um, James Wyatt, like on his own being like, I'm going to take this and I'm going to make it into a book. And then no one really else had bandwidth for it. And now it seems like they're actually investing resources and people into maintaining and creating this whole product line. It's actually and it's whole not product line, but this whole um storyline for their brand, which is great, right? Because right. as we've seen with Marvel and other properties, like it makes sense to invest in your story. Your story makes things flavorful. It is the MSG of your brand, of your product line. Like right, right. Get it in there people are invested.
0: Well and, and now you have a brand, right? I mean then that comes down to the like corporate overlord Hasbro situation too, where it's like by having a story, you now can license this out to people. People will buy action figures of their characters, the introduction of planeswalkers to begin with. And the entire reason Tom Sparrow block happened was because they realized that they need their face characters to be relatable and not weird ethereal God people and they need to be <laughs> get cards and they need to be, you know, stuff that you can actually like tell stories around and that's where the Loro and five were introduced. That's then where you know, the next four characters they introduced became major pieces of it. And, and that's the era that set up literally the next almost 20 years of magic storytelling. The, the time spiral into Loroin, into Zendikar with the Eldrazi being introduced, into, or Shards of Velar in, 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 introducing Nicol and into Zendikar introducing the Eldrazi, into new Shards of Beard and introducing, reintroducing the Pharisians, is the magic story of literally almost every single set that we've had since since time spiral block and that's i think also one of the really interesting things with new phyrexia happening is this is the third major story arc in was in magic really and at least modern magic and when it ends that era of setup also ends we're now past that we now have a future where what's next and that doesn't and i'm really excited by it and i am also like now i'm like looking at okay who's the next big bads who have they set up in this like weird downtime period to be cuz i think that also happened after war of the spark i know i'm like adving in the sentence but this is a, <laughs> a very long run sentence in war of the spark they finished an arc and they realized oh crap we only have one more left
1: yeah <laughs> so, we have got to we've got we've to gotta bring that band back
0: and that and, big
1: metal band
0: <laughs> yeah we have to, and an what can we do in the next like year and a half to set up some new bands that they get to fight against.
1: Yeah. It's metal. Like Oko. I mean, God, can you imagine if Oko got Phyrexianized next? Oh
0: yeah. I don't. So, so my opinion on Oko is he's safe from complete for two reasons. One, because Tomio is the one that got completed. Uh, the blue-green Planeswalker completion space has been eaten up, so it's unlikely for the other blue-green ones because all of them sound terrifying. Kiora Phyrexianized sound terrifying. Oh,
1: God. (laughs) (laughs) Just Um, like all these Phyrexianized octopuses coming (laughs) to eat you. Don't need that. No, we don't
0: need that. We don't need
1: that at all.
0: But I I think, like, and, and, you know, I think they brought in Oko because they thought it was a cool character, and then I think the, like, the fact that Oko became Jason Mind Sculptor 2.0 means that the chances that Oko isn't one of the next biggest villains to do something in the future is low i think he is one of the next phyrexian arc nickel bullis arc level characters i'm excited by that because i don't know how you take trickster god and transform him into worldwide nickel bullis planar event uh but we'll see i think like yeah go sorry
1: i I mean i can definitely see that because he's supposed to be based on the fey right and the fey are there i think what is nice about um oko is that there's a level of chaos to him that um that bolus never quite had bolus is very measured in most of his dealings where i think where i think oko is yeah oko is very mischievous
0: yeah right it, we have with Nukle bolus we have intent we with the phyrexians we have intent ag- again and the eldrazi were probably the closest to chaos but they were a, like an instinct-based chaos they're just like hunger and destruction there was no like planning with maybe Nahiri with Emmerkel being the closest to that. Mm -hmm. And with Oko, you have the potential to like, oh, no, I'm Joker-esque, which is, he, you know, he's probably closest to and like, oh, I'm doing this because I want to make people suffer and I don't care how it happens. So I'm willing to do it in any way.
1: Mm -hmm. And then there was like the voice in the Ozolith, which we haven't actually really...
0: It got into, into, right.
1: Yeah. No one knows what that is. (laughs) I
0: do think, I do think Luca's being completed. That's my.
1: (laughs) Oh no, I, 100%. I would see Luca completed. I'm just like, you know what? Couldn't have happened to it. Actually, no, it did happen to Tamio, but. (laughs) 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 Which is like, no, I was shocked with that. I was, I was like, no, when that happened, I was so sad. I had to draw my feelings out and just like made a portrait of her and I'm like, I'm so sad.
0: I literally like, like I was in a bit of a work hall and, and someone else, uh, Michael co of the podcast was, uh, works with me as well. And he was like, Oh, so the magic cards. I was like, Oh, I haven't looked at it. Yet. Let me look at it. And like, Oh, that's a cool card. Oh, the wanderer is back. That's cool. Oh no. Oh no. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Mom. <laughs> just like, he gotta get Bob back.
0: Which, like, I also w- loved that that was like, w- and like, and I, I got in arguments on TikTok and Twitter about this as it happened. It was, like, this is a good thing. It, it's a bad it thing, is, but the fact yes. that I'm reacting this way is a good thing. This was yes. a, like a, uh, and there's like, you know, there's conversation on like, you know, it, the person they decided to do this with has specific things that they in magic that it, it, it's it's sad that we lost, but I also think that like completion is not death and that character no longer exists it's corruption so this character is Tomio is not gone we are going to get more Tomio it's just scary Tomio not yeah. Tomio
1: <laughs> scary <laughs> scary scientist research Tomio who thinks of other forensic as her family which is just terrifying it's just absolutely terrifying
0: so 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 uh other than I guess Luca and Tomio who do you think is most likely to be completed
1: oh god um i mean I I don't think Garrick. We've put Garrick through
0: enough. have so there's characters like like I don't think I don't, I don't think Elsbeth could ever be completed. We've already I do her, her back. yeah
1: we've killed her yeah there's there's certain planeswalkers we've already put through the ringer. Um, I mean I think I think Ashiok would actually be very interesting.
0: Uh, last time we saw them, they were going to Phyrexia. They they saw. Like, the I actually Phryxians don't think Ashiok and,
1: has pronouns. I think it's just Ashiok.
0: Okay, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. no so, worries. Last time Ashiok. Was seen, Ashiok read Elsbeth's mind, saw the nightmare that is the Phrixians, and was like, "That looks neat." <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: like, I I want to go see that. And so I totally would think like they showed up and they're like, "Ooh, such nightmares to feast upon." And then they were like, "You want to join?" And then Ashiok, I don't know how Ashiok would respond to that, but one, I would I would put a a a, a couple of bucks on Ashiok coming up completed, uh, filling up the mono black or black
0: blue mm-hmm. thing. I, think, I
1: don't think Davriel Kane, Um
0: Yeah. He maybe just, so I, I like did a thing where I like tried finding one for every two color pair and black white. And was the one that I had the most trouble kind of figuring out because they're. I don't think Sorin gets, gets completed. I don't think that, does anything yeah, uh kaya I
1: don't, I don't think
0: kaya i think is being set up as a main character in a way that would not benefit the story for kaya to become completed i think that like and those are only two black white planeswalkers currently really in magic that are that are of uh, super relevant so then it's like looking at mono white and mono black ones and which ones can work and davril maybe but also i think he's a cooler character for future other stories i think tybalt is like and i think oh, already is.
1: yeah tibble oh, is, is definitely probably going to be already completed especially
0: cuz he's also redundant with oko in a lot of ways it's like a good use of him and then you get rid of him and now oko can be the trickster pain <laughs> god <plane> blocker.
1: <laughs> oh, i mean it could it could set up a really interesting story dynamic right if if like oko has to work with the good guys sure. Like, sure. he's a wild card he's a loose cannon <laughs> it could,
0: it, yeah i think i think actually to me, Tezzeret... I hope, like, Tezzeret's a weird one. That's that's another one where I almost feel like there's a chance that Tezzeret ends up being set up as the continuation of Phyrexia post this. Like, he doesn't get completed in the story arc of the Praetors being defeated, but he then is the the next step in keeping Magic's greatest villain of all time alive for the third time they have to fight him in 30 years. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of really cool... There's one a lot of people really like the idea of um, a Johnny being Phyrexianized uh, when I posted. That. I could
1: see that. I can see that. And I also think it would be incredibly sad Um I don't know. I'm also just like, but heroic intervention. <laughs> right, right. <It's> <laughs> well,
0: he's he's a. He, I like had dollars on him dying in War of the Spark. Right, like because I
1: thought he would also die because every mentor, he's a mentor character. He's right? the
0: Obi Wan Kenobi of magic. It, it's him and Teferi, and Teferi had just been brought back and had a lot more stories to tell. Where like a Johnny kind of doesn't have anything to do. <laughs>
1: I like that expression on your face.
0: <laughs> <just> Kill him. <laughs>
1: Johnny. It's just like cat dad's done. Nicole Bolas is
0: dead. I mean, maybe well, there's a story on Alara to tell. Do you need a Johnny for that? Like every other character has been debated at some point.
1: What do you think of Ugin? What if Ugin got completed?
0: I think Ugin would be interesting. But to me, Ugin's like in my head a a, a next villain.
1: <laughs> really? I yeah, Ugin's I had that asshole. thought
0: too. I think he's like
1: <laughs> well, he's an old walker, right? All old walkers are assholes. I'm
0: correct. I, I, I like he's he's like the the representation of why centrism is evil. <laughs> Where he like <laughs> has been involved with every major bad guy, and he's the reason that he had a moment to stop all of them and decided not to on purpose.
1: He he decided to like. Suddenly, do what was it? Um, uh, like Attenborough's principle: like, even if you morally object to something, you can't, you can't like involve yourself, right? Which <laughs> is right, right. like, are you like? Great, I guess I don't know in my head ever since I've heard that phrasing I'm like David Attenborough is the voice of Ugin now yeah
0: Um, fair 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 um so yeah and the last I think the last one I I wanted to, to mention is is Koth and that's the one that I actually think doesn't get completed I think Koth is showing up in the like twilight hour of this story as the like ash from the evil dead or um what's her face from terminator the sarah connor from terminator where he's like he's been fighting this fight for like 20 years and is like somehow survived and like because i think if a because they just said tommy was the first time they've done this so they haven't done it to him yet and so if he's still around they didn't kill him either and so i think he just shows up and he's like i'm the one that has been doing this let's go
1: (laughs) do you think Ourobrask is going to be like dead or do you think he's going to just also be centrist or?
0: I don't think any of the, I don't think any of the predators are dead. I think I'm like, I'm a hardcore cause I know everyone's like, Urbrask is dead and Ellis and, 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 um, uh,
1: Shieldred Shieldred
0: is dead. And I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't think you kill from a business perspective. They have very, very, very strong, uh, worth as like villains and characters that they've established and having to reestablish them sounds like a mistake when you can just include them in ways that makes more sense. I
1: can certainly see like, because um, she did, because Ella Shorn did go after Shieldred. I can see like Shieldred coming back, but like extremely modded in such a way that she is now following Ella Shorn's, um like faction, which makes sense. And I think that is something I'm looking forward to re like, Reinvestigating and re analyzing, like, how has New Phyrexia evolved mm-hmm. since the last time we got there? And,
0: and, I, and I do think, I do think Shieldred because, uh, uh, Atraxa, right? Atraxa's,
1: yeah, Atraxa is uh, not red,
0: not red. So it, it definitely has the vibe of like black has come into line. And I think just Urbrask is going to be the one that, like, has been around. I don't, I don't think we'll see Urbrask until we go back to New Phyrexia. I think we get Shieldred literally. In, in, in New Capena. And I think we get uh, Ella Norn in. Uh Dominaria United and then we go back to the Brothers War we see whatever weapon they're going to find in the past and establish in- <laughs> be Phyrexia and then next spring is going to be New Phyrexia the war on Phyrexia and we're going to get all of that business and the weather going to show up and that's where Everbraska is and Koth is going to be there and then and, and
1: then Karn will finally open up his duffel bag and like and take and
0: it out the weapon the we found in the Brothers War <laughs> yes. and then we'll go and then that'll all end and then we'll take a nice in Middle Earth for the Lord of the Rings set and then uh, I guess we're fighting Boko. Oh,
1: right. <laughs> we're doing Lord of the Rings. I forgot about that. I'm actually really excited about that. I actually have a giant Hobbit poster.
0: <laughs> and I'm like, like, I'm hyped. I've heard good things from, from behind the curtain. And, yeah, uh, me too. And I also like. I think people are a little worried because it's a Modern Horizons level set, right? It's it's directly being printed into Modern. So from that perspective, people are like, I don't want a, I don't want a card that's like been designed to be Modern playable, but is also Gandalf. I don't. I think that's as ridiculous as other things we're getting. But we've had entire episodes of that, and we don't have time to go over the entire. No what Wizards Beyond is going to look like because that is a lot.
1: No worries. I just want to briefly, just briefly, explain that I am excited. <laughs> I'm excited for all the rings. Oh
0: yeah, um, yes. Oh, I'm also I, very excited for the new show. Like there's, there's, there's definitely. <gasps> yes. I I don't know if you saw the like 26 posters they released this morning. Yes,
1: uh, I saw uh, some of them. So I'm very excited. Like, <laughs>
0: dived into TikToks, being like, "This is who every one of these characters are based on the type of embroidery on their sleeves." <laughs> I'm like, yes, <laughs> this is why we like yes. all the rings. <laughs> All right, um. so so that is that is the time we have today. Uh, uh, first off, thank you so much for joining. I know we've been trying to get you on uh, now for Aww. a few miles, uh, and so thank I'm glad we're able to finally do it. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? <laughs>
1: All right. Well, uh, you can find me on Twitter at kiln fiend Potter. Um, and you would also find me on Instagram at kiln fiend pottery. That's where I mostly show a lot of my ceramics works, uh, because I am also an artist. I sometimes forget about that. Um, you can also find me on Twitch, uh, at twitch.tv slash kiln fiend Potter, uh, where I will be doing like a very cute, like just chilling and crafting, stream where i'm just gonna assemble legos and like talk to people you can come and hang out very low like you know life is hard come hang out come build stuff with me let's build some flowers yeah let's talk about lore so yeah, that that's pretty much the three main places. You can also find uh, some of my uh, TTRPG actual play stuff because I do a lot of D and D stuff now too. Um, so I'm on uh, Matching with Zuby's um, Price of Progress D and D campaign where I play uh, basically a Dragonborn Karen. Uh, you can find nice. it on Wednesdays at Wednesday evening. So if you just uh, check out um, Zuby's uh, Twitter, you can find out the um, you can find out the links and whatnot and yeah check me out as i um basically scour this new world trying to disrupt a multi-level marketing operation
0: <laughs> <laughs> um awesome and then and then yeah as far as we go uh, you know all the links are below as always uh please hit that like button we i do want to he- uh, hear all of your thoughts on who you think will be completed in the future put them in those comments uh and then last but not least if you're buying anything on tcg player there's an affiliate link in below please click on that uh before going there and then you can get help with the podcast there as well all of the things uh and once again michelle thank you so much for coming on uh, thank you uh listeners as always and thank you patrons uh and we'll talk to all of you uh next week and then we'll be back so we'll be talking about we'll doing our comic uh, set review and that'll be fun Woo.